Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Hey, if you got your worship guide, I want you to grab it. And uh, if you have Bibles, you can take them out this morning to Mark's Gospel, Chapter 4. Is where we're headed in just a couple of minutes. If you got your phones on U version, you can download that. Look in there. There's some notes there already. And uh, it's just going to be exciting. I made mention of Wanata, North Johnson, and Hebron, and Westfield campus, and MPH, and online. Hey, would you give them a real good Valpo welcome? Let them know we're live today. Let them know we're here, we're going, and man, we're excited. Now, I didn't. I didn't bring my horn this morning to preach in case I need help for an amen. So that means you got to pay attention and you got to help me. Come on, look at somebody and say, I'm going to help pastor today. <clears throat> hey, we started, we started a new series this year. And I, I just, I, I really love this series because we've been looking at questions that God asked. Now, I know most of us in this room, if we're honest, We've all had questions that we wanted to ask God, right? Come on. You ever had something you want? You know, I'm always amazed. People say, oh, I just need what? I get to heaven. I just, I just can't wait when I get there, and I'm going to ask God this or that. Listen, when you get to heaven, it won't matter. <laughs> Come on, right? Come on. It's not going to matter. You're there. You made it. Every one of the questions. But, but, but we have some things that we, we want God to to help us with, and, and, and many times he does. But more importantly, I love the questions that God asks us. There's over 300 in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we've been looking at some. And this morning, I'm going to look at Mark chapter 4, and we're going to look at a very unique question that, that Jesus asked. It's a, it's a direct question to the disciples. And then again, when, when God asks a question, it isn't that he doesn't know the answer, right? Come on. He already knows, but he wants us to know why we are this or that. He wants us to discover a, a new presence and power of him in our life. So Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says this. It's on the screen. You can follow in your notes. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him, talking about Jesus, with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats was with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, talking about Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, how many how many's ever asked God that question? God, don't you care, right? Come on. God, don't you see what I'm going through? Don't you understand? Don't you care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, here's, here's the question, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear 
and said one to another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Great question. Why are you afraid? Now, what's this? Over the years of, of 50 years of ministry, I've, I've, noticed, I've, I've noticed this observation. And it's, 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 it's something that it just kind of, it seems to be something that runs very strong within the church. And it's just this. Most of us want to use God as a pathway to improve our experiences in life while God wants to use all of our experiences in life as a pathway to know him. What's it? What, what, what do you mean by that? Most of us want to use God as a pathway to improve our experiences in life. So what does that look like? Most of us in this room understands what it is. When we get into trouble, when something's going wrong, we many times will go to God and we say, okay, God, you've got to make my marriage better. You, you've got to help me with my kids. You, you've got to, you know, help me with my finances. You've got to help me with that help. Whatever it is, most of us understand the fact, whatever we're going through, you fill in the blank. We want to use God as a pathway to improve our experiences of life. Now, let me tell you, it's, it's nothing wrong with asking that prayer. I'm not saying we don't do it. But what I'm saying is, what we're going to learn today in this text that we read, that what God wants to do, rather than us using Him to make our pathway in life better, God wants to step in our life. He wants to take every experience that we're going through. He wants to take every situation that we're encountering, and he wants to use that as a pathway for us to know him in a greater and more powerful way. Big difference. Come on, come on. Look at your neighbor and say, big difference. I want God to improve what's happening. God says, listen, I want you to understand whatever's happening I want to take this as a pathway to be able for you to experience and know me and my love for you in a greater way. Now, now the Bible tells us that God simply allows all the events in our lives. He, he weaves the things together in our life, good, bad, ugly, whatever. Come on. He uses those events. Why? So that we might know him. Matter of fact, I put this verse in your notes in Acts 17. Look, look what, Paul, what Paul says. Apostle Paul says that what God does, he, he seems to order history. Listen, he orders history. Why? So that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him, we live, we move, and we have our being. So what is God doing? We want to use him as a pathway. I want my experience better. I want life to be better. I want my family better. I want my kids. God says, what if you understood that I'm ordering history and I want to use your experience as a pathway? I've ordered these things so that you might seek me and reach out to me and find me because I'm not far from any one of you. Listen, all of our life, Everything in your life and my life has, has been designed so that God says, I want you to know me. I want you to experience me where your faith will grow and you will find yourself knowing me and experiencing what I want to do in your life. Now, what's this? The Bible talks a lot about emotions. 
Matter of fact, there's one book called the book of Psalms. All through that Psalms, it's, you, you'll see David, you'll see Moses, you'll see uh, Aspen. He wrote some of the Psalms. Every one of the Psalms oftentimes are covered with emotions. God doesn't deny that we don't have emotion. Matter of fact, one of the scriptures, Psalms 42 and 5, David said this, why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you disturbed within me? Listen, it's, it's in our experiences of life that God shows up. It's in those emotions that we have that God wants to show up. Particularly, the one we want to look at today is that emotion of fear. And how that so many times it's fear that keeps us from the best that God wants to do in our life. Listen, everybody in this room knows we live in a changing world right now. I mean, this world right now, we, we have wars, we have rumors of wars, we have terrorism, we have constant threats. Listen, we live in a time that it's not hard to have fear trying to grip our hearts. Am I preaching to anybody yet? Listen. But whatever fearful situation that we face, the Bible tells us that we can fight through that fear, we can anchor ourselves in the truth of his presence, and God will bring us out and get us through that situation. Now write this down in your notes. Fear is the wrong use of our imagination. When, when, when you take somebody that's being totally dominated by fear, fear is anticipating the worst. It's the wrong use of our imagination. Let me, let me just tell you my junk. When I was four, five years old, my dad, my mom, they pastored little country churches. We sometimes lived in, in a little parsonage. One time we're living in Huntsville. We lived a little parsonage behind the church. You know, you had the worship center. You had, you had a, a classrooms and you had a little parsonage. The parsonage that we lived in, when I was four or five years old, we had rats. And I'm talking about, we didn't have mice. They weren't cute. Look, they were rats. Come on. Anybody know what a rat looks like? Listen, we, our rats were so big, my mom, the, the cabinets didn't have doors on them. And my mom would go to the dollar store and buy those plastic curtains. Now, some of you sweet little old ladies in the house, you remember those plastic curtains. You could hang on your cabinets and they would, they would disguise your plate. Listen, we would come home for Sunday night service and those rats would have eaten those plastics halfway up. They were eaten. Now, listen, it, during that same time, they would bring food to the pastor. A lot of times they didn't have money. they give food. Commodity items was a biggie. Commodity cheese. Government-issued cheese. Anybody had ever had some of that? Listen, you got to be poor to eat. But listen, we had cheese. I love cheese. Cheese is my comfort food. Give me cheese and cat cracker. I've got a grandson, Jake. He robs my cheese every time he comes to my house. Look at it. He's smiling right now. I love cheese. But here's what happened. I'm four or five years old. We got these rats in the house. And somebody told me, Philip Dale, don't you dare go to bed with cheese on your teeth. Because if you do, the rats are going to come and they're going to eat your lips off. You talking about, listen. 
That's, that's worse than praying with a child. Now lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my, slow, my soul to keep. I mean, rats are going to come. Do you think I had any problem brushing my teeth when I eat cheese? Listen, I'd brush my teeth, and I would go to my sitter. I said, listen, you see any cheese on my teeth? Because, I listen, I could just see it now. I'm laying in bed, and the rats come eat my lips off. Now, Fast forward, I'm 25 years old, Rhonda's 23, we're pastoring our first church, we're living in a little parsonage, we hear these little noises going on up in the attic and in the walls, and I'm thinking, yo, it's an old farmhouse, probably got a few mice, one night, I wake up, and I feel something go across my head, and I look right across Sister Rhonda's face, this big old rat, come on, I kid you not, it was big and long, For the next two weeks, we lived in terror. We were, listen, Matthew was a little baby, sunshine. We were so afraid, and I would sleep by a stick beside my bed at night. Did you not? And one night, I wake up, and I look, and I'm I'm just kind of awake, and I see something moving at the foot of my bed. I'm thinking, oh, Lord, it's a rat. And I reach down and grab my stick, and I start wailing away. I'm hitting, and the more I hit, the more Sister Rhonda yells. I'm thinking, it's God. She's feeling the rat. She's hitting. And finally, she grabbed me. She said, my God, you're breaking my foot. And what had happened was her foot had just moved and come over to mine. Listen, fear, fear is the wrong use of your imagination. I was imagining the worst thing that could happen. You know, as I got older, then it got to be zits. When our kids got to be teenagers, you know, I, you know, I was like you. I, I had fearful that our kids were going to grow up and be total jerks. And we got blessed for that. They didn't, and today my biggest fear is which child should I be the nicest to because they're going to pick out my nursing home one day. I mean, that's just, I try, and I have my daughter and my son in the house today, so I'm trying to balance this thing out. But listen, everybody in this room knows that we deal with some type of fear, right? Look at your neighbor and say, what are you afraid of? Come on, what are you afraid of? What? Now, you, you don't have to tell them. Because most of us in this room, listen, we know people right now. You know what? Some people, they're afraid of being lonely. It's the reason why some, some women married the wrong men, because you're so afraid of being lonely. Men married the wrong woman because you're afraid of being lonely. There's a lot of people that has, has fear about the future. Oh, Pastor Phil, you know, what's going to happen to this world five years or ten years from now? Some people have fears about their job. Some people fear about the fact of when you say goodbye to your kids and send them to school, are they going to come home healthy? Or are they going to be okay? I mean, we, we live in that kind of a world right now, don't we? Listen, the, how about the fact that studies show that, that the, every person in this room, everybody watch it, listen, there's a 100% chance that you're going to die one day. How does that make you feel? Come on. It's a true 100% chance you're going to, I'm going to die one day. But listen, what, what happens is that so many times when we think about fear, um, the emotion of fear, I, I, I looked it up. There are six basic emotions that everybody in this room has. But out of those six basic emotions, the, the, the happiness, the sadness, the, uh, you know, we, we have the emotion of anger, the, the emotion of disgust. Uh, some of you are feeling that right now because I'm talking so much about fear. The, 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 the emotion of surprise, but the emotion of fear. Listen, here's what I found out in my study. Out of the emotion of fear alone, 
they have, they have now identified 120 basic phobias or fears that people have in our culture today. A hundred and I mean, fear of heights, fear of close, but I mean, you're a hundred and twenty of these fears that's going on in our world today. And yet we know as Christ followers, the Bible says God didn't give us a spirit of fear, right? Come on. Second Timothy 1 and 7, I did not give you the spirit of fear, but what? Power, love, sound mind. God doesn't want us living in fear because, listen, every opportunity we have to be afraid is an opportunity that we can have faith in God. Most of us in this room understand that fears, while they're part of our, our life, here's what God wants us to do. God says, what if you understood Every situation, every fearful situation that you're in, I want to use this experience right now as a pathway for you to know me better. That's about what's about to happen to these disciples. Jesus is going to use this fear that they're having as a pathway for them to experience and see something about him they had never saw before. So write this down. Let, let me talk to you about the scale of fear. Because here's an interesting thing in the text that we just read. The Bible talks about two types of fears in this passage. There's this natural fear that they encounter. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about why they are afraid. They, they have this natural fear of this, this raging storm, the, uh, the, the wind away. But then the Bible talks about this, this holy fear that comes upon them. So they have this, have this natural fear. The, the scale of fear comes in many shapes and sizes today. We understand that. There, there's some people, they can go immediately from a what-if mindset to a doomsday mindset. Come on, you ever notice people like that? They, they Well, what if this? And, and they immediately go from this what-if to a doomsday. Listen, what do they They allow their imagination to just run wild. And what happens is, when, when we have this devastating type fear in our life, it, it affects everything that we do, not only in this life, but also in our spiritual life. Listen, the everyday uncertainties that, that we all struggle with, listen, the difference between the form of fear of just everyday life is the seriousness of the problem, yeah, but it's the feeling. Everybody say feeling. It's the feeling that you have that dominates your life to the point, just like the disciples, you think you're going to perish. Now, what's that? They, they got in this boat. They're, they're headed across the sea, across the Sea of Galilee, and the disciples' fear changes from this natural fear to this, to this incredible, awesome fear of the Lord. Now, what's this? They, they move away from this unhealthy, unacceptable fear, destructive debilitating fear, they move away into this awesome incredulous when they, when they sense the presence of Jesus. Now watch this. Listen, we can never allow the presence of a storm. I don't care what it is. Health storm, relationship storm, financial storm, political storm. We can never allow the presence of the storm to be greater than the presence of Jesus. Come on, that's good preaching right there. I wish I had a horn. I'd toot it right there. Listen, how many people do you know today that they allow the presence of the storm, 
the presence of the difficulty, the presence of the situation, it is larger than the presence of Jesus. Now, now these disciples are on the Sea of Galilee. What's this? The Sea of Galilee is approximately 700 feet below sea level. The average temperature is 57, 59 degrees. It's a great place to be except at the time that Jesus told them to go across the sea. Listen, any other time of the day when you have a storm, usually they're not bad storm. But at nighttime, when a storm moves in and the wind comes rushing down out of the valley, at that time of the day, it's, it's, it's usually going to be one of the most dangerous and oftentimes the most deadliest times of being in a storm. And yet, this is the precise time of the day. Don't you just love Jesus? Don't you just love Jesus? Listen, this is the precise time of the day at the most dangerous time that Jesus said, hey, boys, we're going to cross the other side. Now, I love the disciples' faith because they just willingly obeyed him. They took him like he was, put him in the boat. They had other boats. Hey, guys, go with us. Let's go. We're going to cross. I love the fact that, listen, they are crossing at a time. I know if, if, if Jesus would have took a pole, hey, Peter, hey, James, hey, John, you guys okay? Hey, Jesus, wait a minute. We prefer to stay here in the morning, okay? We prefer to hang because we know what it can be like. And if we are got to go, why don't, we just, why don't we just stay close to the shore? Because they knew if you get out in the sea and the storm comes up, number one, you, you, you lose uh, uh, the ability to detect where you're at. You, you lose the ability not only to see for yourself, but now you're, you're putting yourself to the point where you're, you're probably not going to be rescued. And yet here they are getting in the boat, doing exactly what Jesus said, going across the sea. Now what's it? Here, here, here's, what I, here's what I see, and I hear the Holy Spirit speaking today. We have so many people right now that say, Pastor, why is there so much difficulty and trouble in the world right now? Why isn't God doing something? Why isn't he stopping the chaos and, and all the craziness going on? And here's my answer. He is, okay? He is. Look at your neighbor and say, he is. Now listen, here's the problem. Most of us Focus on the chaos rather than the presence of Jesus is with us. Listen, you've got to believe as a Christ follower that Jesus is in your life. Emmanuel is one of his names. God with us. Are you with me now? Come on. He, is, he hasn't left us. He, listen, he knows what year it is. He knows what political divide we got going on in this nation, in this country, and in this world. It doesn't matter. The presence of Jesus is greater. I'm about to get excited. The presence of Jesus is always greater than the presence of the storm. Through many dangers, tolls, and snares, we've already come. You understand that? So, so what, what the disciples have to understand is that God understands the scale of your fear, how it can immediately go from just something very, what we think, unharmful into something very deadly. It was natural for them. Look, look at the destructive, unrighteous fear. Now, again, people ask me all the time, Pastor Phil, you know 
There's no way we can live in this world and not be fearful. Why, why does the Bible, why in the world would the Bible tells us not to be afraid? Now, when you look in the Bible, and I, I don't have time to preach all these points I'm about to give you, but I want to give them to you because fear is not of God. You understand that? It's not of God. God said, I didn't give you that spirit of fear. Fear is something that the enemy will use. It's part of our emotions. God created us with emotions. We, we don't deny that. But listen, I can never allow the, the presence of any difficulty storm in my life to be greater than the presence of Jesus. How do I keep from that? It has to be my focus. Where's your focus at? And if I understand there are certain things God says, I don't want you being fearful of that. Write this down. Speculations are fear about the unknown. Again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2 and 5, we demolish arguments in every pretense that sets us up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is Paul saying? Listen, Paul said we are not to be speculating in life. We're not to be held captive by our speculation. That's the reason why I tell you all the time, if you're listening to CNN or Fox or MSNBC or NBC, if you're listening to the news more than you're listening to the, listen, the Holy Spirit's voice has to be the loudest voice in your life. He has to be. Because he's the only one that can come in the midst of turmoil and, and panic and speak peace in our lives. But when we live our lives on speculations and fears of the unknown, listen, when it rules our lives, our minds will exaggerate everything into a doomsday mindset. Oh, man, this is horrible. This is the craziest place. This is the worst place it is. I can't see how the world could get anywhere. Listen, what happens is... I, I, I I want to say this a little. Let me just say it right now. God called us in Matthew 5 to be lights of the world. You are the light of the world. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about us, believers, Christ followers. You're the light of the world. The problem with our culture today is too many Christians have stopped being lights, and we are just reflectors of what's happening in the world. You go to work, and you reflect what's going on. The fear, the turmoil, the uncertainty, the anger, all what you name it. We reflect what Jesus said, no, no, no. You are to be the light of the world. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a reflector, be a light. How do you do that? How do you be, you, you stop speculating about the fear of the unknown, fear of the future, Matthew 6 and 34. We preached about that last week. Pastor Matt did, I did, over at Full Throttle. Listen, Jesus tells us that we should not worry about the future. Today has its own troubles. Now, what I love about the fact, Jesus didn't say, well, guess what? You're not going to have any trouble today. No, you're going to have trouble today. But don't bring tomorrow's trouble into today. God will give you grace for today, not tomorrow. When you bring tomorrow's trouble in today, that's when you feel overwhelmed. You get anxiety. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Listen, the older we get, the more subject we are to project way out in the future. What is it going to be like then? I, you know, I, I follow a few guys online and I see some of these preachers that are older than me, and they look a lot older than me. I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, please, don't let me get like that. 
Rhonda says, you already are. I said, no. Can you believe that? Fear of Satan and demons. You understand? I, I, I said I wasn't going to preach every one of these. I just give them. Submit yourself to the Lord. Resist the devil. You understand, the closer we get to the coming of Jesus, the more satanic influence and flavor is going to be in our culture. But God does not want Christians being afraid of Satan. Listen, the Bible says if you, if you submit yourself to God, you can resist the devil. He has to flee from you. You don't have to be afraid of the devil. If you encounter Satan, if you encounter some type of evil influence, you don't have to sit there and be terrified of it. No, the Bible says submit yourself to God, yield yourself, surrender yourself to God, and you just resist the devil, and he has to flee from you. Fear of natural disasters. Well, that's a biggie right now. The hurricanes are, you know now what they're saying? They're saying now the, the tornado alley, that for years was down in, in Texas and Arkansas and Mississippi and Alabama. Tornado Alley is now moving with the next two to five years. Tornado Alley geographically is moving north, and the soon-to-be Tornado Alley is going to be Kentucky, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan. So you, you, you think you can get away? No, but what happens is the Bible says we're not to fear that stuff. You understand? We, 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 we exercise precaution. We do all the, the normal stuff we should do, but we should not allow ourselves. Why? Because we serve a God. The presence of Jesus has to be greater than the presence of any difficulty in my life. The fear of physical harm and death. Jesus said, well, why in the world are you afraid of somebody that can just kill your body? You better fear him who has authority to, to kill both body and soul and throw you into hell. Come on, somebody. That's good preaching right there. You, you <laughs> thank my grandson. Now, Jesus, I'm glad they're in church with me today. Listen, we, we live in a world today where people think life is it. No, this is just part, this is just a little portion of what eternity is going to be like. You understand? We, we, we cannot fear what man can do. Listen, I, I, I believe for years that uh, there's a coming, there's a rapture. Jesus is going to take you. But let's say, let's say it doesn't happen in, in, in pre-trib. Let's say we go to mid-trib. I don't know. I pray we don't. But listen, we better get to the place where the presence of Jesus in our life is more important than anything they could do to our bodies, our souls, or mind. Wow. Listen. Any type of obsession or speculation that has fear that dominates our life will absolutely keep us from enjoying what God wants to do in our life. But what's this? I love this. i got to get to my text. Listen, Jesus doesn't address the way we, they, they express fear. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't rebuke the disciples' feeble efforts to try to maintain, neither, neither does he praise it. You know, he doesn't wake up and say, hey, boys, hey, Peter, good job, boy. I know you're rowing hard, man. I know you're strong. Hey, James, you, you was handling the left side. Man, good job. Thank you, James. He doesn't do any of that. Are you, listen, he, he confronts them with, with he, he, this, this very important direct question. Why are you afraid? Now, what's this? It's in the aftermath of the storm and or the midst of the storm. We have to listen to God because he challenges us, what? To, to reorder our thinking. 
That's what they question this child. Why are you afraid? God is saying, listen, you, you, you got it. Your, your little boat right now, your little life, you may be having all kinds of difficulties and struggles, but why are you afraid? Well, Pastor Phil, it's because I'm sad. It's because of my relationships in trouble, because I'm, and I have a financial crisis, because I'm ill, it's because I have grief. Listen, listen, our faith begins to falter. None of those, none of those things are, are evil or bad, but our faith begins to falter when, when the disciples woke up Jesus and they asked him, don't you care that we're perishing? Are you following me? That, that's where their faith is. Don't you care? Listen, Jesus, don't you care what's going on? Don't you care what the doctor said about me? Don't you care what I'm having to deal with? Don't you care? The enemy loves for you to question what? The care and the presence of Jesus. But notice this. The fear in this story is confronted not by the disciples' courage, but by Jesus' presence. I love that. It isn't that in 2021, I got to be more courageous. Somehow or another, I just got to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I've got I've to be strong. No, no, no. Listen, Jesus confronts the fear in this story, not by trying to say something they need to do, but he reveals himself through his divine presence. Listen, only the presence of Jesus can calm the raging storms in our life. Only Jesus can calm the fear that we're, that we're experiencing when we're going through the storms of life. And when the disciples see, they didn't hear anything. He doesn't say nothing. He asked them a question. Why, why are you so afraid? When they see what Jesus does, the Bible says they, they immediately shift from this, from this tormenting fear that they're having until this amazing, awesome, holy fear of who is this man. Next week, I'm going to, the question we're going to deal with next week is, who do you say Jesus is? Because it's the only reason why some of us would ever be shaken in a storm or difficulty of life is because we don't know ourselves. We, we know who mom and daddy says Jesus is. We know who the church says Jesus is. Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? You with me? See, if you don't get rooted and grounded in the presence of Jesus in this last day right now, then listen, the storms and the difficulty of life, they're going to absolutely overcome you. But Jesus stands there. Listen, it isn't, it isn't the storm that, that is, is dominating now the disciples' life. The Bible says they're filled with this new kind of fear. They experience this holy fear. The, what, what I call it is the constructive righteous fear. The Bible calls it, and, and there's, different, there's different passages that talk about this, and I don't have, have time to give, but in the book of Psalms particularly, it talks about the fear of the Lord. Boy, I will put the fear of God in you. We've heard that one, hadn't we? Somebody just jumped back there. I'm just kidding. It's just... Um, and we, you know, some of us think that's what the fear of God is, to have, walk around and like, oh, I just... I'm just so afraid I'm going to mess up and God's going to hit me and God's going to slap me and God's going to reject me. God's going to push me away. No, no. Look, look at Psalms 11. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wait a minute. 
The disciples need some wisdom. They, why in the world did Jesus put us in this boat in the, in the afternoon knowing that we can't get across here before the evening with risking the fact that we may have a storm, which they did. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Psalms 147, 11 said, The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. There's one fear that's really constructive. It's a righteous fear. The Bible calls it the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord allows us to overcome all the other fears of this world. So let me give you, let me give you a very simple, because I'm a very simple guy. Let me give you a very simple uh, uh, definition of what is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is simply a big view of God. That's what it is. You show me somebody that has a small fear of God, you show me somebody that, that doesn't recognize the incredible awesomeness and power of God, the smaller view of God that you have, the bigger your problems in life will be. The bigger view of God you have, the smaller your problems and fears will be in comparison. See, when we, when we have the fear of the Lord, we just see things differently. We look at things differently. We, we experience things. Now, again, without the fear of the Lord, I want to use God as a pathway to make my experiences better in life. Okay? And a lot of people stay there. That's where they pray. Their entire Christian life, they're always praying, God, make my experience better. Make my life better. Make this better. Make that. But when I, when I begin to live my life with the fear of the Lord, this big view of God, then all of a sudden I say, God, I want you to take every experience in life that I encounter, and I want you to me encounter you in a greater and more powerful way. When was the last time you allowed the, the, the attributes of God to move you. The attributes of God that, that he's faithful, that, that he's omnipotent, that he's eternal, that he's changeless, that he's a good God, that he's omniscient, that God is sovereign, that God is omnipresent, that God is loving. When, when was the last time you just sit down and you were blown away by the majesty of God. That's the, that's the big view of God. Why in the world, come Pastor Lizzie, why in the world do we live in a culture right now that the world works so hard to take God off of his throne and bring him down to the level of man? Follow me? It's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that we don't live in a culture right now that the world wants to make God small. I'm accountable to nobody. I listen to nobody. What are they doing? They're trying to put a, why? Because when you and I have a small view of God, the fear of this world, the fear of what's going on in our culture today is going to be larger and larger. When I have a big view of God, when the majesty of, of, and the attributes of God, when, when, when I just sit and, and I just meditate on the unbelievable compassion that God has for me, you know why a lot of Christians are becoming less compassionate? You forgot about how compassionate God is to you. It's the reason why you can get so angry and upset at people just like that. You fly off and you get on your social page and I'm just going to kill you right now. You forgot how compassionate God is. You follow me? When was the last time you, you stood in awe at the amazing forgiveness of God's power in your life? 
You know why we're so hard to forgive people today? You don't stand in awe of the forgiveness of God. No, they've done me wrong. They're, they're done. I cut them off. They're dead to me. Not if you meditate on his forgiveness in your life. The majesty, the, the awesomeness of God, the, the fear of the Lord is that, is that big view of God. And when we have that big view of God, we can honestly say in, in times of confusion, in times of struggle, the big, the big view of God allows me to say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Not just a light, not just the, you know, one of the lights. No, he, he's my light. When we have this large view of God. So what's, what's some quick action steps? I got to give you these. Because we're going to come around the Lord's table. We're going to come around these two elements that remind us of the awesomeness of God. So what do I do? Number one, I just remind myself of the bigness of God, the fear of the Lord. How do I do that? I read verses like Psalms uh, 27 that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? And then sometimes I admit my fears. I love when the psalmist said, I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me, hurt, hunting me down in their anger. My heart is in anguish. The terror of death overpowers me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. I can't stop shaking. You see the honesty of the psalmist, David? He doesn't deny God, I've got to go in for this treatment, and I, you know, I want to trust the doctors. I want to trust this, but Lord, I'm afraid. Listen, admitting our fears, listen, John Scott says this, fear is like a fungus. It grows in the darkness, but it shrinks in the light. When you put light on your fear, Lord, I'm so afraid when I go and get this doctor's report, when you put light on that fear, listen, what it, what, it shrinks that fear. We don't have to be crippled by our fears. But many times because we won't admit them, we become crippled by them. We think by repressing our fears, they go away, but they don't. They just collect in our souls. It's the reason why people move away from just having fear that they move to anxiety and depression. They refuse to admit their fears. Listen, one of the sad statistics right now is there are almost as many people within the church that are addicted to prescription drugs, painkillers, uh, depressants, antidepressants. There's almost as many within the church. I'm talking about not just this church. I'm talking about the big C church as it is the men and women outside in the world that's addicted to street drugs. Almost as many now. How could that happen? The storm that we're in is greater than the presence of Jesus. And then what do we do? We commit our fears to God. I prayed to the Lord. He answered me, freeing me from my fears. 
I cried out to the Lord in my suffering. He heard me. He set me free from all my fears. And then lastly, we boldly move out in this world. The psalmist writes in Psalms 55, in the middle part of that verse, I'll not be afraid what man can do to me. You have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. What do I mean by boldly move out? I mean that we act on God's will in our life in spite of our fears. We're, we're still willing to obey God more than man. That's what the apostles did in the book of Acts. They took all the threats and all the things that they said they were going to do. And Peter said in Acts 5, we ought to obey God more than man. We boldly act. Again, I said it. God has called us to be lights in this world. The only way we're going to change this world, the only way we're going to influence this world from the storms that they're in right now, they're just like the disciples. They feel overwhelmed. They feel like they're perishing. They feel like God doesn't care. The only way we're going to change is stop being a reflector and start being the light again. Be the light when you go to work. Be the light in the midst of your crazy family. Be the light. Don't reflect what they're doing. Don't reflect their behavior, their attitudes. Be the light. Oh, when we do that, listen, we find ourselves totally overwhelmed. But when Jesus stands up and he says, guys, what's this? What's this? And he just says, shh. And the wind calms and the waves calms. The Bible says they were greatly afraid. Well, they were filled with this awe, this greatness of God. We've got people right here in this church. You've got testimonies. Some of you remember them. Some of you have forgotten them. Of right in the midst of your storm, right in the midst of your difficulty, when you felt so overwhelmed. All you had to do was start focusing on the presence of Jesus. And the peace came. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at Pastor Phil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.